If you want to lead yourself well, you have to know yourself well, right? But the tricky thing is it can be surprisingly hard to really know yourself. We live in a world where we're told on repeat who we should be and who we are by others. And let's be honest, it's hard not to believe them, especially when you're told maybe you talk too much and need to settle down or when your coach to hide your pain and suck it up is showing your emotions are weak or when you're taught your strength and passion is a bother to others so you edit and shrink to make others feel more comfortable. Sadly, we learned early on who we should be to belong, who we should be to keep the peace, and who we should be to simply stay safe. We've gotten so good at being who we think we're supposed to be that we end up believing there is something intrinsically wrong with who we uniquely are. Whether you're working towards a promotion at work or wanting to stay in a relationship or simply avoid being misunderstood, it often feels like you have to exhale parts of you just so you can move forward in life. You end up spending so much energy figuring out who you need to be to belong and be safe. Really knowing who you are gets lost in the noise. And the stigmas around certain personality traits and abilities are only further perpetuated, especially when it comes to behaviors and personality traits and abilities associated with how your nervous system operates. Now, we tag the word disorder onto neurological differences like autism and attention deficit and hyperactivity, which pathologize aspects of being human. Holding a dangerously narrow view of health and functioning decreases everyone's ability to better understand the incredible resources we have in ourselves and in those around us. Difference is not disordered. Now let me repeat that. Difference is not disordered. (laughs) But still, differences can threaten a sense of belonging in our world that still supports a toxic normal that is harming all of us. How we talk about differences still feels like it falls into this unhelpful binary of normal and not normal paradigm. And I'm of the belief that the more people who know and own their differences, especially the unseen differences, they will cultivate a culture that sees these differences as strengths instead of disorders or problems. Now, we're all trying to figure out what makes us tick and how we can improve our work and life. And that is what my Unburdened Leader Roundtable guests did this year. And in the process, they were formally diagnosed with ADHD, which helped them connect the dots on so many aspects of their life and start to lead themselves and their businesses with more confidence and clarity. Both of these guests were recently on the Unburdened Leader podcast, and I knew I had to bring them together for a roundtable discussion on their recent diagnosis as adult women with ADHD. My first guest is Dr. Lindsay Padilla, who is an ex-community college professor who accidentally started a business while on the tenure track. Now she's the CEO and co-founder of the Hello Audio Software. All of her business ideas were born out of her 10-year track years of teaching adults online at community college, 
along with the ridiculous amount of learning she's done in all things education and the years spent growing her course creation business online. And we're also joined by Tara Newman, who supports service providers in creating premium offers and scalable sales systems so they can increase their profitability. And she does this through her podcast, The Bold Money Revolution, as well as her program, The Bold Profit Academy. Now, Tara's got decades of entrepreneurial experience and a master's in organizational psychology and is uniquely qualified to teach leaders to run businesses without sacrificing their health, relationships, or integrity by establishing behaviors, habits, and rituals aligned with their vision of success. Now, I want you to pay attention to how Tara and Lindsay unpacked their different experiences with school. I think this is really important. And notice how they each saw themselves before and after their formal ADHD diagnosis. Also listen to how their respect and understanding of themselves moved them through grief to leading themselves and their businesses with more confidence and clarity. Now, please welcome back Dr. Lindsay Padilla and Tara Newman to this special Unburdened Leader Roundtable podcast. Dr. Lindsay Padilla and Tara Newman. Welcome you both to this roundtable. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, this is going to be fun. It will be fun. And we're going to touch on a topic that is very relevant and very personal to the both of you. And we're going to talk about ADHD. And so I'd love for you just to kind of start off with what do you wish people knew about how ADHD impacts how you show up in work and life. Tara, why don't you tee this one off first? Sure. You know, when I guess, so when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed after my son was diagnosed and it wasn't until I was diagnosed, I should rephrase, COVID and ADHD was not good <laughs> for, yeah. for my family. Yeah. <laughs> Remote schooling, lack of continuity, any kind of coping skill that I had to manage ADHD naturally and normally, it was no longer working. So when my son got diagnosed in seventh grade was when I was like, oh, that's what I have. And this year he was in 10th grade. So we're talking like three school years later. I hadn't done any research on like what it meant for him to have ADHD. What was he experiencing? And, you know, simultaneously with his ADHD diagnosis, he got diagnosed with double vision. So we mm -hmm. actually went immediately into, and he was in seventh grade when he was, they found out this poor kid had been seeing twice, like double, like bananas. So we went straight into working with him on his vision and like not really dealing with the ADHD. And so I hadn't done any research, but when I was diagnosed, then all of a sudden I started doing the research and I was really shocked at how every part of my being was impacted by symptoms of ADHD. It was, it was really shocking. And for the last 12 years, I had been in and out of doctor's offices trying to figure out, quote unquote, what was wrong with me because I was so exhausted all the time. Mm. And so I was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue. You must have a gluten allergy. You must have an Epstein-Barr titer that is active. You need to take, we need to detox your liver, like 12 years of this. Oh my gosh. And nothing really happened. I contacted my doctor and I was like, I don't think it's physical. I think it's ADHD and having to process 
life in this way that is creating a level of mental fatigue and brain fog, which is why everybody kept thinking gut issues or, you know, whatever. I think it's, I think it's ADHD. And he's like, it's possible. And I see Lindsay nodding. You're like co-signing with right now. (laughs) I mean, I'm co-signing with the brain fog part and the like mental overwhelm. And Mm -hmm. I think, I, I think part of the reason why I decided to get diagnosed this year, I, I feel like I knew I had it. You were the first person I messaged. <laughs> I was like, wait, if I want to get diagnosed, what do I do? Like, who do I look up? Even the ability to find help online was really, and of course, navigating the healthcare system is just a whole other thing. So I was like, you probably have some idea of this. Mine was all through watching TikTok videos and <laughs> and starting to follow Instagram accounts. And so that knowledge of like, oh, I see myself in this. And when running a business is when I was in the most overwhelmed. And this is somebody who has a doctorate, had to write a dissertation and did all the schooling. I knew how to do school. I didn't know how to run a business. And so that's what I think made my ADHD come out. And my coping mechanisms for school were not the same for running a business. I think other issues, other mental health issues, I know there's like comorbidity morbidity with, with ADHD. So I think other mental health issues that were happening, the burden I was putting on myself as a breadwinner, money issues. And when I was in charge of money and there wasn't like a salary coming in, those were things that were like setting me off the rocker. When I got diagnosed, she was like, you obviously know how to do school and success was important to you in school. So you did it like you made it work. And you probably these might have been some of the things you did to do that. So you didn't think it was a problem. But then when you got to entrepreneurship, there's no teacher giving you a grade, there's no passing. So you're just with your own thoughts, which again, I didn't know that ADHD folks had more repeated thoughts patterns that happen in a very negative way. My husband didn't have that. And so that spiral where the coping mechanisms weren't the same. That's what like made me go, oh, it was almost that when I got out of that fog of running the business and I started running this tech company that I, I had the capacity. I think I told you this, Rebecca, I had the capacity to like explore having ADHD. I didn't have that capacity when I was like in it. So just to make sure it was so full to take the time out to really, it just felt like it was too much. Is that right? I think for me, I, I haven't been in, in EMDR therapy in a while. I think it was more like the capacity to be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go get help with this now. Like it 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 was it felt like the next step, but I needed I needed the the information that I thought I had it, I guess, which I didn't have earlier. Were there any stigmas around or fears around getting a formal diagnosis? Tara, did you have any? I don't think so. I mean, I, I so it was actually generally difficult. <laughs> to get to find somebody locally who would see an adult with ADHD. Yeah. And so I was I was I felt lucky to find somebody and to be able to have that conversation. I chose medication. That was 100% stigma. There was a lot of stigma there for me around medication. Tell us more about that. You know, I think that we or you know, the the circles that I had run in have had been very like health oriented, very holistic, very food is medicine type of circles and and all all that can be true. But there, you know, I had already done all of those things. Like when you look at like all the holistic ways to approach ADHD and increasing your dopamine and specific things that increase your dopamine, whether it be food or activities or or something like that, I was already doing all of those things. 
And I love how Lindsay went for EMDR at first because then like, is it ADHD or is it trauma? Well, she kind of weeded that out. No, it's not. And because that was big for me too. Like we had to look at what was, is this trauma or is this ADHD? But I had already done trauma work. So that was still, there was still that residual piece to it. But yeah, like going on medication and, and that's actually why I say I am on medication is because I want to destigmatize that for people that it's okay to need that kind of help. Mm-hmm. Better living through pharmaceuticals. Yeah. ADHD, it really is a spectrum and it's very nuanced and it even shows up differently in men and women often. There's some overlap for sure. And and I, yeah, it is tough because right now there is such a lack of trust in healthcare, and that's a whole nother conversation. But there has been a lot of stigma around medication. What was, Tara, for you, the biggest shift? And in a nutshell, going on meds for you, what shift? I'm someone who won't even take Tylenol. <laughs> Like I'll barely take a Tylenol, like because I and I think it's it's also a pendulum shift from the generation and my my fa- like stuff that happens in my family where you know my mom will take my mom used to work in a medical center and she would take medication not prescribed to her but there was like leftover in the cabinets and I have a long line of like prescription um, drug abuse in my family and so I kind of swung the pendulum and went in that direction. So, you know, for me though, it's just been like a journey on saying, I'm not going to be that person, right? Like I have autonomy here in how I approach the medication that I'm on. And it's actually been a really fun journey to have control over that. There's and, and dialing in what is the best medication and for when is this the best medication? And, you know, I've been on medication for like six months and saying like, I need these milligrams for these days and this milligram for these days. And like having some flexibility where I have control over what I'm putting in my body. And yes, I'm putting something in my body. How has this formal diagnosis helped you lead yourself better? I think you touched on that already a little bit. Tara, how about for you, Lindsay? How has this formal diagnosis helped you lead yourself better? I recognized that I had a different way that my brain worked than my husband. So that was like the first mirror that I had. And one of the things I think about when I think about medication, I think I was reading because I read, of course, a bunch of literature (laughs) once I got the diagnosis. It it was explaining how like, you know, without medication inside a a person with with ADHD in their brain, it's like a very messy traffic like intersection. There's no lights. There's no one organizing the traffic. Everything's like trying to squeeze through. Right. And it's messy. And but the same amount of information is like coming in. And then with medication, it's like there are like traffic controls happening. And when I heard that, I was like, okay, so medication supports my brain and the connections that are happening as if it was a traffic source and makes, you know, the process smoother. It's not that like, it really alters who I am. And so I think that's what I was worried about with medication. So when I think about leading myself better, even choosing medication was part of that process because I also chose medication. And it was the same thing, Tara. And I think about, it's the generational stuff, right? So ADHD, I, we 
grew up, I think in the early 2000s, even I remember watching, there was this, you know, there was this uh, epidemic <laughs> of young kids getting, you know, dosed with ADHD and oh my gosh, the school system, the Sir Edwards talk on TED, on TED Talk is like, you know, there was something happening in the world and that was so bad. That medication, my brother got diagnosed when I was a kid. He didn't have it, but they took him through the testing and it was all about drugging and getting him to calm down and stuff. And so mm. I carried that in my head and it was all about like drugging kids. And you brought up the autonomy that we have as adults. Like we are adults uh. making that decision for our body. I'm not doing it for a kid or a teacher's not saying it has to happen. This is a very like clear choice and I can control it exactly with the dosage. Once I learn that like, no, you don't have to take it every day. Like, no, you don't have to take a lot if this is what you're experiencing on it. I was like, great, this sounds like an experiment. I'm just gonna see what happens and how I feel and I have control over myself. And you know, the worry about whether it changed me. So when I think about leading myself, I feel like it's advocating for myself, which has been another process that uh -huh. I've been doing over the last year of just like, yeah, I'm going to do medication. I'm going to do research on what I want to do research on. And I want help with this. I want to see what it's like to like turn off my brain just a little bit. Like, how does that help me in my day to day? And the focus and the mm. extra thoughts and the anxiety, I mean, that weighs on you too. So like you can read about the medication and there's obviously with any medication, there's potential complications, there's potential addiction, there's all these things. but you know, living with anxiety is not very great for yourself either. So like, that's no. what you're weighing. It's not this very simple, like choosing medication as like a bad thing because you're altering your state. It's like the other state isn't helpful either. And so I, I've, I've been thinking about it from a perspective of advocacy and, and thinking about when I think about leading myself and like, how can I support myself to be healthy and happy and joyful and, you know, and all the things that you want to do while you're running a business potentially or dealing with life stressors just all the time. So that's awesome. Yeah. Tara, you know, I think, I think being diagnosed with ADHD and then obviously subsequently choosing to go uh, and take medication has given me a permission to advocate for myself. Mm. Like almost like I needed a reason mm. to, to, to say, no, that's not true about me or I can't, that's not how my brain works or I'm sorry, I'm just different. Like that's not going to work for me, you know, and, and speak up because I never realized how much every part, every piece of feedback I've ever received in my life, whether it be getting in trouble with my parents or feedback in school or feedback at work or feedback from people on Instagram <laughs> is, was all, every single piece of it was related to mm. a symptom of ADHD. Mm. And then just to get granular, so I, first I just want to say I love I love the self advocacy piece and differentiating because there was you know from being a kid getting diagnosed and the power and empowerment of it as, as an adult. I have a memory around the '90s, so maybe it bl bled into the 2000s too around this, and there was this sense of just get them on meds and get them to calm down, like you said, Lindsay. And we weren't doing differential diagnosis. We weren't assessing for trauma. We weren't seeing, are they fed well? What's their home life like? You know, then it was just, let's get everyone to act the way we want them to act in the classroom or whatever space they were in. And I'm like, no, this is, this is not okay. So I almost 
push it away. But then having a kid on the autism spectrum and looking at things so differently, seeing this is how you're wired. This is just a part of you. The world still doesn't totally get it. What I'm finding, especially with the leaders that I'm working with um, and seeing it with other people in my life per- personally, it is quite the superpower. Once you can manage it and have a break, like you said, from the mental load, Lindsay, the anxiety. And I I love the picture you painted of like, it's like a lot of traffic without any stop signs or stoplights. I bet you a lot of people are like, yes, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) But I'd love for you to talk about how your ADHD has inspired you and your work at this stage. Tara, why don't you start off? Yeah, sure. So first of all, I did not do well in school. I would lose time in class. It started around middle school. So like when my son was like in seventh grade, I was like, oh, of course, this was this was me. And then in 10th grade, it gets worse because the expectation of your ability to self-manage, right? And I'm like, oh, well, of course, this was me. Um, and so I didn't do well. And I barely got into college. The community college that was known to take anybody with a pencil and a pulse didn't really want me. By that point, everybody told me I was unmotivated. You're just unmotivated. You're too into boys. You're, you're whatever. Wow. And by, and then what happens is by, and they say this, the, the neurologist, my son's neurologist even said it. And she's like, well, by 12th grade, he's not even going to need medication because he's going to be engaging in a, more electives. And they're going to be things that he's chosen. And they're going to be things that he's interested in. And I was like, oh my God, Boom. I made honor in 12th grade. And that's when I was like, I'm smart. Like I can do this. So when they told me I couldn't go to college, I was like, no, 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 we're going to talk about this. And I, I negotiated my way in. I had to take a whole bunch of classes that were no credit classes because I needed to prove that I literally understood fundamentals of English language and, and mathematics and things like that. And I taught myself how to study in a way that worked for me which was a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. Like, like a lot of work. I spent a lot of time (laughs) studying and wound up, you know, transferring to a top research university and graduating magna cum laude and like was really successful in that like post grade school type environment. And from that experience is how I learned how to have executive functioning skills and that I was actually really good, good at setting goals. And I was actually really good at accomplishing things because of the hyper-focus. And I learned how to use that for my benefit, but also teach other people how, how to do this as well. And it became such like the foundation of my coaching and high performance habits and the ability to achieve a goal and the ability to implement something might not be a strength of yours, right? Like how we can make this work for ourselves. And so that's really how, for me, it's really informed my work. That's awesome. How ADHD has inspired you and your work. It shows up in women, particularly girls, as kind of daydreaming or spacey and, and often a little bit more in their heads. And there's this pressure to get out of your head more. We just have this desire as a culture. This is like the machine versus how do I, as a teacher, as a leader, as a parent, as an employer, a manager, how can we help create spaces that adapt and get curious versus you're not doing, you're not fitting this one way. And that's where I see the shame has just come in. But really, it's just the environment didn't bring out the best. It didn't support you. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we're at a big reckoning with right now. So Lindsay, how has your ADHD inspired you and your work? 
Yeah. It's funny hearing the stories of school because I yeah, get out of your head. I hear that so, so much. And hearing Tara's journey too in education, I think for me, mm-hmm. it was like, in, in my family, I was the smart one and I was labeled that very early. So part of it was proving that that was true. And I think what's funny is with ADHD, hyper-focus is a big part of it. I thought that that's what you just had to do to study. And I remember telling my college friends, we, we hung out recently after I got diagnosed, actually like a month after. And I was like, yeah, and I'm learning about all this stuff and hyper-focus. I, I used to call it reverse ADD. Me and my husband used to call it reverse ADD where I would focus on my computer. He could talk and do all this other stuff. I had no recollection. I would even answer him, but I could not say anything back. And I was like, oh, it's reverse ADD. I'm so focused. Little did I know it was an actual symptom. And my girlfriends were like cracking up because we were all in a sorority together. So we lived together. They're like, I used to watch you study. And I was so jealous of like how focused you could get. And I was like, I had no idea. And they're like, yeah, if I just had, I used to say, if I just had like a third of that and it would all be the night before it would be cramming. It wasn't this like amazing process, but it served me, but I enjoyed it. I like liked school. I told myself I liked school. I liked most classes. I was curious about it. I was like intellectually curious. So I was able to use that. And that was a coping mechanism that I didn't realize was a coping mechanism. I just thought like, that's just what you had to do in school. So anyways, I think now my inspiration, knowing that hyper-focus, I mean, hyper-focus is like a pretty cool thing if you think about it. It's like quite a flow state. And I wish I could just like turn it on on things that like I hated. And I think that's the hard part is it's the it's like the difference between states of like being so obsessed and forgetting to eat where my husband is bringing me food to not wanting to do anything and lay and watch Love Island on, re- you know, <laughs> for days and and then feeling guilty about it. Those are the two states. There's no like in between just like doing like typical day to day things. And so once I started learning that that's like normal in the ADD space, then it was like, I started to not feel so bad for it. And I think to, to one of my like inspirational things is being able to say no to stuff like, well, my brain will not be able to do this. So someone else on the team should do that. And like, and just that's it. And just recognizing as such. And so I think that people know exactly what my brain is good at. And the, the reason why you know, I think a lot of people with ADHD, of course, they're CEOs and visionaries, because I think that that's, that's something that is very common as well is like, we're not in the minutia, we're in the like, really big picture. And it gets me excited. And that's like, that's what you need, like someone driving the company. But then if you're telling me to then execute the project, big no, no. And that's what was happening in my personal business is there wasn't enough people on my team to support me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the diagnosis to say, this was happening. And I had friends that were so successful. And I'd just be like, oh my gosh, I wish I was as motivated as so-and-so, or I wish I cared about a goal as much as so-and-so. And and now I'm looking and going, oh, like I wasn't set up to to do it like that. And so it has been very empowering. That's why it's like, it is inspiring because you're like, great, in the right role. I mean, it is pretty cool. And like, we need this type of brain in certain roles, but the other roles would literally kill them. <laughs> and that's the that's the part. And, and most of society is set up in that like reg- regimented, you know, organized oh, way. Know. So we're killing people basically. Yeah, it's it's really harmful. We're traumatizing them and it is like a slow kill and it can contribute to anxiety, depression, relational distress versus just what you so beautifully said. Hey, this is not in my lane. This is not my brain. Well, so I'm going to delegate to somebody else. And it's not like a shame thing or you failed thing. It's just, 
This is what's this was what not worked good at it. <laughs> if you want yeah. this done well, I am not yeah, the person not to do it. Exactly. If you want this done on time, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not my me. brain is, is is I could be like a, a workhorse on other things, and it's actually interesting. Lindsay had posted something on uh, Facebook probably a couple of months ago, and it so inspired me. So, you know, I think we demonize working in women. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. you know, and sometimes how like that, that hyper focus for me, I could feel, oh, you're going to burn out. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And and Lindsay had a whole post and she was just like, this is my time head down build. Mm. And I was like, yeah, girl, like head down build. Right. Like, and I, and I knew exactly, I know that feeling. And I'm like, that's been my last year to 18 months as well. You know, it just was my time. And I was like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to be inspired. But I also didn't really talk about it because I felt really shameful about it. So when Lindsay was like head down build, I was like, okay, permission. (laughs) I appreciate you saying that too, because there is that stigma around work and women in particular. That's a a really good point. And especially when you have the superpower of focus with things that you're passionate about and care about, it's weird how there's a negative thing versus way to go. You know, I think for me, I'd been doing a lot of the things that you would do to, to manage or to live with ADHD. And that was really cool. But it also highlighted some areas that I was like, wow, I had no idea this is why I was struggling with this. I mean, I think if you think you have ADHD, I think you should get evaluated because I learned so much more about myself through the evaluation and it took three people to help me get evaluated. So I completed the evaluation. My husband reviewed it and was like, no, you're not answering this appropriately. My father reviewed it. And he's like, you're not answering this appropriately. The therapist sat down and was like, I think you're underreporting these things because we have so normalized what's not normal. Mm. And you know, so it was really hard for me to actually assess myself. But then once I did, and once there were people around me who were helping me see, you know, who I really was and not masking those things, all of a sudden things made so much sense. Like, and the, and the one thing that's helped me the most, and everybody's going to laugh, Peloton. Hmm. And like, totally, I am not an affiliate for Peloton, but the way they gear their fitness classes and things like that. So for example, I used to do CrossFit and they used to make fun of me in class because the, the they used to call it terrasplaining because they would have to repeat the instructions of the wads so many times because I was present, but I wasn't hearing it. Like that's just part of the ADHD. And then having to remember all the different components of the wads, count all the plates on the barbells while the chimer's going. Like I loved the exercise, but it was mentally exhausting for me or I get bored quickly. Now I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a 20 minute Peloton ride. Oh, that was fun. I feel really good. Like the dopamine's going, I'm going to do another 20 minutes. Oh, awesome. This was so much fun. Like this was great. This really got me through. Like, I don't have to be like, I'm going to do another 10 minutes. Like, I don't have to be like, oh my God, I have to do an hour of working out today. Like I get to like chunk it down and make it interesting and get my brain working around it. And I don't know. So that was just one thing that's been a huge tool for me with my ADHD and and just my health. Yeah. Co-sign that. All three of us are Peloton ites, Pelotonese, Pelotoners. What I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, they don't have a name for people in the community. Surprising. <laughs> yeah. And so 
you know, for you, what breakthroughs or solutions have you found that benefit others fueled by your ADHD? ADHD? Yeah, you know, I think the the big one that comes to mind is the tool hopping that I did a lot in my business for organizing my ideas and thoughts. <laughs> and I kept blaming these <laughs> tools that I was using. Yeah. And and it had nothing to do with how cool the tools were, what they looked like. I pretended it was I was a visual person. It was none of that. It was just like, it's ADHD. Like there's just, it's just really hard to organize your thoughts. And so we have, we are on ClickUp now, but one of the things I've done is created a board. I think, I don't know if this is uh, similar for you, Tara, but there's something along the lines of like, they call it like, what is it, object blindness, but that's like not really true because we're not two-year-olds. So like, that's not like really actually what's happening, but like this idea if it's like out of sight, out of mind. But, and so there's this feeling that when I have a thought, it's probably a really good idea because I have had really great ideas. So I like want to hold all of them and I can't, I can't, it's almost like hoarding of my own ideas. And so that's what always breaks whatever system I'm using is this hoarding that doesn't get sorted into something. And I finally just created a process. I don't know if I succumb to it. I don't know if it has part of the diagnosis. I don't know if it's meds. It could be all of it, right? But I have a parking lot and like that's where stuff goes. I rarely look at it, but I feel so comfortable that the thing was captured. <laughs> and that's what I was like trying to say to my husband. Derek was telling me like and once when I, w- I was asking him like, "Oh, do this thing." And he's like, "Okay, cool. Like I'll do that later." And I was like, "You don't have to write it down. Like what what are you taught like how is this a thing?" And he goes, "Oh, like my brain's a runway. There's just planes that land and take off." And I was just like, "What?" <laughs> makes no sense like you just have tasks in line in your head like what and so learning that like that's not how my brain works means I need support in a very different way and and I just like I think I just like admitted like there's no tool that's gonna save me from this it's like accepting it and then then it doesn't give me an anxiety Mm. and the anxiety was coming me not having a place to catch it, me maybe feeling like these amazing ideas were never getting done or whatever. And so I just have this board that like with the parking lot, the things I'm committed to doing, the things I'm doing, the stuff that's on hold and the things I've done. And it's just this this basic board. And it's basically only for me. No one on my team is watching me. It's the only thing that's worked so far in running my business. And I think that task management that's the thing that was overwhelming me with my business because nothing, it never stops. There's no No. end. There's no end of the semester, right? Like it just keeps coming. And so I think, yeah, I think it it ended up being like a mindset thing of like, okay, cool. I don't have a runway. Um, (laughs) And there was a woman on TikTok that was talking about the reverse funnel that ADHD brains are like a reverse funnel. So a normal funnel, Derek has all this stuff coming in, right? In a in a neurotypical brain, all this information coming in and then important things come out. They have like a plan, there's an order of importance, there's a filter happening. In an ADHD brain, it's opposite. Like one thing coming in creates all these other things that like you can't control. And I'm like, oh shoot. And so one thing can create in your own mind an avalanche of like things, ideas, topics, like no, no conception of priority, like none of that. And when I heard that, too, I was like, these visual metaphors, it all has to happen right now. <laughs> like there's no right. And it's all important. It's all so important. 
And just even showing that to my husband, he goes, I now I get it. Now I get why these things that panic you, like, don't panic me. And that that even just like working with my husband, I think that has been huge, like working with people who are neurotypical and and giving them these ways to like visualize how your brain feels, like how it feels to be in your brain is just really helpful for both sides. They're like, oh, cool. Now I don't have to like get mad at you and vice versa, right? Get flustered, all the things. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's been actually a game changer being diagnosed and like sharing that diagnosis with my husband because it has resolved one, a lot of conflict. And two, has gotten him to really understand the things that would kind of make him a little mental about me. Like, he'd be like, why are you doing this? Why is this here? What's happening? Like, you know, it, it it's reduced his frustration and then it's reduced my feeling bad or guilty about the things mm. that he's frustrated by. And he's like, he'll pick up on things now. He'll be like, you've walked in a circle three times and it looks like you don't know where you're going and you're in your own home. <laughs> do you know? Do you, do you know need something? Do you know what's going on right now? And I'm like, no. He's like, have you taken medication? And I was like, no. He's like, maybe a small dose. <laughs> Just to oh, that's break good. the circling feeling. It's funny. <laughs> it's super funny. Isn't that cool to have those mirrors? We need those mirrors to reflect mm -hmm. back. You're going to say something else, Tara. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, for me in business, like <laughs> I completely am with Lindsay on the tools and the apps and the things like that. I cannot, I finally understood when I was diagnosed why I can't function with inside project management software. Mm. Like I, it's all the things coming at me all the thing, all the time. And like, it needs to, it, my mind just cannot register it. So Slack has actually been really helpful if you use Slack the way Slack is intended to be used. So most people use Slack as a communication tool, but it's it's not. It's actually meant to be like a centralization tool of all your technology. And so, you know, I get all my Monday notifications in a Slack channel. I go to the Slack channel and I just action on the things that I've been tagged mm. on. I don't actually Ooh. ever have to open Monday because my brain will explode if I have to open. I will start to cry. Like I can't, but I know that people need things from me. So it, if it all filters into my Slack channel, so I have like a channel for my Monday updates. I have a channel for like Google Doc things. I have, you know, and it just makes my, it makes things so much easier for me. That's awesome. One having one place. So I think it's really important to get customizing things and figure out what works for you and not trying to compare to this collective other or the standard that isn't even really attainable or representative <laughs> of our world. So I'm curious too, how do you think entrepreneur spaces can serve as a means that can destigmatize. What do you think, Tara? I see you speaking. I mean, oh, no, go ahead, Lindsay. Go with Lindsay. Go with Lindsay. I was going to say, I think Tara said it earlier, is like talking about it. I think that's like one of the first things and recognizing that, you know, I think it became really clear to me when I did more research on what ADHD was, that there is a lot of coaches that promote like, a way of being in the world that mm. is very against, like does not work for me. And so just like noticing that and just being like, okay, cool. I don't have to listen to that person. Like they don't, they're definitely not coming from a place of like care or empathy or understanding. It is like fall in line. Like this is how to do it. Cause this is how I did it. And so I'm just like recognizing that a little bit more from a neurotypical I guess, perspective. Like you said, there's other things that are wrong with it. And, it, you know, it's not just neurotypical brain processing type of things. But 
it 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 tends to fall on that because it's about success, right? Mm. So, but but yeah, so I mean, the ways I think talking about it, pointing out those problems, I think is is some of it too. I'm seeing a lot more like ADHD coaches come out, like there's just more spaces being created for folks and I and I you know, some of those spaces are cool and some of them are like eh, a little a little much, but it's it's also it's always good to be in community, you know? And so I think there's a lot of power in that. I think the work Tara does is doing a lot for people in this space. I I think there are people that are recognizing the diversity of of coaching and and like certifications and all the things that people are getting pushed through and being like, hey, this isn't set up for everybody. How can I do that? And so I do think that they're right now we're in a, an, a time where people are like exploring, you know, ways to improve those kind of processes and systems. And so I feel like it's happening right now and we're we're a part of it for sure. And you even just having this conversation, I think, is a part of it, too. For sure. Thank you. How about you, Tara? Listen, I think that we really need to unhook from the cult-driven pseudo-psycho babble that is the personal development industry. Can I get an amen to that? Like, period, end of story, go educate yourself, go look at what you're propagating. Actually think critically, just don't use think critically as like some kind of epithet that you're sending someone because you don't agree with what they're they're saying. But there is a tremendous amount of nonsense and BS. And listen, listen, I've been engaged in like personal development since I was 17, right? And what we can, and I can be like, that worked, this didn't work. You know, that makes sense. That doesn't make, this is an inclusive comment. This isn't an inclusive comment, but there's so much ableism in the personal development space that these non-certified coaches are propagating. And we've gone to the point where we've convinced everybody that they can um, create multiple six-figure, seven-figure businesses by copycatting and mimicking what they're seeing. So now we have people who are who are promoting this type of, of thought that don't even know that they're doing it or don't even know why they're doing it because they weren't even told that they are doing it. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, so because it worked for this one person who was charismatic as hell and was able to, you know, enroll clients with charisma, you know, I think there's a a whole portion of this that really needs to be unpacked and myself included. And I've been looking at it and I've completely changed the the trajectory of my business over the last year as I've been unpacking and looking at these things. And the second thing is, is anyone who is in the course design space, who is like an online course creator, please go and get instructional design training because you are creating things. Also use Hello Audio, but you are (laughs) creating things that are not inclusive for all learners. And you are also not considering the educational trauma that people have had. Yes. Gosh, good point. and 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 these places are rife with people who are not getting results because they're these things don't work. They don't work. It's not about packaging your amazing ideas, recording a Zoom call, and selling that recording and calling it a course. So get some, you know, education in instructional design, but inclusive instructional design and and work 
toward truly making your programs inclusive. And you know what? It's expensive. And so you know what? When you find a program that's doing this, pay them. Pay them mm-hmm. because it's worth it. You're going to have a much better experience and give feedback. If you're somebody who is neurodiverse or who does learn differently or you're you're blind or you're deaf or whatever your, your disability is, give feedback on how they can make it better and then give them the opportunity to make it better because, you know, in my program, we're wholeheartedly creating the most inclusive space that we can create. And there are things that I have to go back and look at again because I didn't take into account every disability or every need for inclusion, but it's more inclusive than most. Yeah. Thanks for that, Tara. It's like a hot button for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Lindsay, any follow-up to that or anything land particularly with you, what Tara just shared? Also, can I add one more thing? Yeah, please. So also consider your business model and mm. have you been taught a business model that's not accessible to you because of your neurodiversity? Can you get more specific on that? Sure. Tara? I can. So there's a lot of, there were a lot of things that were, especially in the online business space and traditional online business tactics that when I first came online just were not accessible to me. First of all, I mean, the pace in which people think that they should be moving and succeeding was not accessible to me. But beyond that, you know, we see, I see these like funnel schematics, like where we're doing like, you know, we have a funnel style business and like my brain does not, my brain does not process that. Well, and so I don't have a business that has, that requires elaborate levels of funnels. Like I'm not saying it doesn't work. It doesn't work for my brain. You know, programs that are like mass programs where they have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people coming in don't feel good for me. That really doesn't feel accessible to my brain to handle the volume that's required for a business like that. So that's not how I run my service-based business. There are other options that we can, there are other business models and other options to make great money and, and have things feel manageable and inclusive and accessible for us. Yeah, that's really important and not quick and easy. It's going to take a lot of thought and work Mm -hmm. and testing and there's some vulnerability to that, but to create something that really is welcoming for all and not just in word, but in action and in design, as you're so wisely noting. I want to ask you, you touched on it briefly, but maybe in a nutshell, how has ADHD, for better or for worse, impacted your relationships, both personal and professional? You both touched on your family and your your partners, but yeah, how has that impacted your relationships? Yeah, I think it gave me and my husband a tool to be able to point something out and be like, this this is what I'm thinking about this situation. It, it almost like neutralized the emotion behind mm. some mistakes or issues that were happening. One thing I remember learning again on TikTok, as I've referenced it like a bunch of times, I think it was Shalene Johnson <laughs> who did this one. She was talking about like reorganizing her husband's clutter and like wanting to put his stuff away, but then your own stuff was actually out everywhere. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do that all the time. I like see something out of place of his and it bothers me. But she, it's basically, it's ADHD. It's a distraction. My stuff is not a distraction because like I put it there and there's essentially like some level of like, I need to be able to see this to be able to like take action on it. So I'm leaving it out. But when I see his thing, it's a distraction because I didn't choose to put it there. Right. And so I have to tidy it up. 
something as simple as that made us both laugh out loud and then be like, cool. So like, that's why you're moving my stuff. And like, I don't have to like overreact and yell at you to correct it. There's no correcting. There's no, there's, I, I tell him like, I think before I knew I had ADHD too, I think there was stuff with the dishes. He was like, don't put it in this sink, put it in this sink. And I was like, okay, you can tell me that, but like, you know, it's not going to happen. And we didn't know why. <laughs> and, and this is a thing where you're just like, there's no logic behind it, but it's like, this is how my brain is, is processing this thing, leaving cabinet doors open, all these like tiny things that you're just like, why is that a thing? And I think you just like start to respect each other more in like a different way. And then you bring up like personal relationships with friends, you know, there are like text messages that someone will send me and I have every intention of apply replying and then I forget. And then I go back and I, I literally feel horrible. Like I feel like I'm the worst friend ever. And so now having that knowledge that like, oh, if it's not top of mind and that notification doesn't stay unread, I won't reply. And it, it creates this cycle of like, am I a bad person and a bad friend? And so just even being able to acknowledge that and be like, hey, my brain... <laughs> Like, I really actually wanted to reply to you. I swear I'm not a bad person. I think if you have people close in your life that you do really care about those relationships, you can point that out and just be like, I'm cool if you retext me. Like, I'm I'm not going to be weirded out by that. Like, I actually need you to do that to get something out of me if it's like important. So I think, yeah, you're just catching those little nuances that in a, what has been normalized in a neurotypical way, like, oh, wow, she's such a bad person because she doesn't reply to my texts is is like something else is going on like and that right. and that's key now, instead of a value judgment like she's a flake or she's being mm, rude yeah it's the value just, yeah the assumptions yeah. made on the other side of it yeah for sure how about you tara you know i i think it's interesting like with lindsay what she was saying about friends because you know, I, as I've been learning about ADHD and like the challenges that it has for people with ADHD to hold friendships and to do things that are deemed as acceptable in, in friendships, like remember birthdays or send cards or like things that we've made important, but like, are they, is that really like the most important thing or can we redefine what it means to be a friend? And so I've been doing a lot of mm. use Rebecca's word, like rumbling around friendship. What are the boundaries that I need to have there? And so starting with, oh my God, I'm a terrible friend because of a lot of what Lindsay said and, and comparing myself to people who maybe do those things, but not even for the right reasons. Like I have some family members that are pretty obsessive about some things like that. And I actually know they don't really give a shit. They're just trying to like keep up appearances or whatever, but really evaluate how I show up as a friend, how they show up as a friend, like how, how do I want to show up as a friend? And then what are the boundaries and support that I need to show up that way? And it's, it's been less friends, but not afraid to go deeper so the depth of my friendships have changed because I've let go of a lot of the what it means to be a good friend. And I've recreated what I think it means for me to be a good friend. Having a checklist of all the people who I do want to have a deeper relationship with and having a Sunday a Sunday morning routine of like drink, drinking my coffee with them and checking in with them either through Voxer or text. It's been housing all my friends in one place, like on Voxer to say, okay, I'm not messaging you on Instagram. I'm not messaging you in text because then you're going to get mixed in with my kids and my husband and the soccer coach, right? Like, and, and having a special space for them, especially since they're not particularly local. 
and you know, setting time aside on my calendar that says, this is when I'm gonna, if I'm gonna connect with a friend on Zoom, this is the time we connect on Zoom and really putting like a process in place that allows me to feel supported in that way. And also being honest and being like, you know, this isn't something I do well. So if this is gonna piss you off, like, sorry. Like, <laughs> can happen. And with my team too, just, just being like, you know, I'm having a moment, like I'm emotionally dysregulated. I am feeling rejection sensitivity. I'm whatever object permanence problems. Like, and I, I'm very clear about that. And like, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. We just onboarded a new executive assistant. It was basically the role was created around my ADHD in terms of editing things and reviewing things and revising things. So yeah, just really building in, in that support. And also with my kids, apparently I've read a lot of things about ADHD and hormones in women. And as they have children, and then as they go through menopause, that there are women that are being diagnosed like 55 years old because they think they have early onset Alzheimer's but it's the first time they're realizing that they have ADHD and it's gotten to a point that it's so bad because of the hormones with menopause. And this isn't very studied because this isn't like the male doctors don't want to study female hormone interactions on a, you know, a situation that they don't even really want to acknowledge exists in women, but really understanding how this has you know, impacted motherhood and like what things were like in pregnancy and having a lot of grief over things like that, but also having those conversations with my kids and being clear around where my differences are going to be as a mom and why they might see their friend's moms doing certain things, but your mom isn't going to do those things. Or here's how I can be the best mom with my superpowers and my gifts in this area. And here are the things that I can't do as a mom. That's powerful. And you touched on the research and it, you know, it's, it's, there is definitely the, the bias, the gender bias, but also the complexity of it's hard to study hormones because they vary. It's hard to cycles are very, there isn't something set. And so the complexity, let alone the bias of studying ADHD in women has been so prohibitive and I guess getting important data out there. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And I really appreciate just how you're setting up life, work and your friendships. And, and it isn't about us constantly adapting to others, right? It's about creating some sort of reciprocity and mutuality in our lives. I want to wrap up this conversation and just ask you, knowing what you know about yourself now and your powerful nervous system, what would you share with your younger self? How about you, Tara? You know, I felt like such an outsider and an, and an outcast my entire life because I was different but didn't know why. And mm -hmm. like combined with people just saying that basically it wasn't okay. So I think for me, you know, and growing up and even in a family where my mom was very extroverted and like we would go on vacation with like 20 people. I mean, this is, this is not okay for me with <laughs> – the way my process things, <laughs> like so, just you know, giving giving that uh, child permission to be herself and to ask for, you know, to communicate what she's feeling and what she needs, and to not get stuck. And it has to be this way just because society says it, or just because maybe your mom is different, or you know that you get to be an individual. Mm, very healing. How about you, Lindsay? What would you? share with your younger self, knowing what you know now about your powerful nervous system? 
Yeah. I mean, I think my ADHD led me in really cool places. Like I think it's part of the reason why I decided to be an entrepreneur and leave teaching. So there was some confidence that came with it and kind of rebelliousness. And yes, I was told, you know, to stop talking and to like, you know, get in line, like those kind of things. I think, I think there was more damage done more recently with the entrepreneurship stuff tied to ADHD, just because I think I could have probably achieved more in graduate school. And like, I could have maybe gone to like, you know, an R1 school or something like that. So I think part of me, my like ADHD was like a little bit of rebelliousness, because I wasn't really good at being a student, but I like knew what the minimum bar was. And so I think I set a bar low for myself when I was a kid to make sure I was able to succeed and not push myself. And then I think as an entrepreneur, I think one of the first things I said to the therapist when like getting diagnosed, because I was like nervous that I didn't have it. Like, what if I don't, what if she's going to tell me I don't have it? Then I, it just doesn't explain a lot. And I, I just remember crying and just being like, oh, I have such like compassion for the Lindsay who was running that business and the way that she was like trying so hard and like comparing herself. So like, I almost want to talk to Lindsay like five years ago and just be like, this game isn't set up in the way that you recognize and it's going to be hard, but like it's worth it because then when you do recognize what your powers are, you can go really far if you surround yourself with the right people. So you know, a lot of grace and compassion for the Lindsay who was doing what she was trying to do <laughs> with, with with the capacity that she had. And it wasn't a lot. And so I would say like, good on you going and getting help and like learning not to like compare yourself as much as you were and like that you can do really cool things. And I think Hello Audio is like that divide that happened. Like I was running that business and that was the one that was really hard. And then it's not like this company is any easier to run but like, I know so much more about myself. And there was this separation of like, mm. I'm going to do this differently. And so like, Hello Audio has become this thing that's allowed me to like, I don't know, like really honor what I'm good at with what I learned in that other business. So yeah, I, I, I took like two parts to that answer, if that's okay. Always, always. Thank you both for this conversation. I know it's just the beginning of many important ones that you'll be having in all the circles of influence you're in. I really I appreciate your leadership, your heart, and your wisdom and your your courage. I, I really value you both. Lindsay, where can people find you if they want to connect with you, Hello Audio, and learn more about all that you're doing? I am hanging out a little in our Facebook group on in Hello Audio, I think would be probably the most place that I'm the most active. And then Instagram stories when I decide to do them. <laughs> I go in phases <laughs> as we do with ADHD. So I'll do like 100 sure. stories and then I won't show up for a month. So those are the two places. So I'm, I'm Dr. Lindsay Padilla, most places online. And then the Facebook group for Hello Audio is helloaudio.community is where you can find that. Thank you. And how about Tara? How about you, Tara? Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? They can connect with me by listening to the podcast, the Bold Money Revolution podcast. And if they want to directly connect with me, that's Instagram at the Tara Newman. Just slide into my DMs. Awesome. That's what I do over there. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time. And this is an important conversation. I know many will benefit from it and feel a little less alone. So thank you for showing up today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Owning all parts of you means knowing all parts of you, <laughs> but it sure is hard to know who we are 
while living in a culture that constantly reminds us who we should be and how we should be. The journey to move through these expectations can lead to years of feeling lonely and misunderstood from hiding and denying aspects of you that you've been told are a problem. Now on this Unburdened Leader Roundtable episode, Tara Newman and Dr. Lindsay Padilla shared their journey to owning all aspects of who they are with respect, curiosity, and compassion. And when they were recently diagnosed formally with ADHD, they experienced validation and liberation. They were given context and understanding of who they've been their whole lives and data that they were not broken, just different. This information helped them connect those dots while healing their relationship with their story. Now, I'm so thrilled about this conversation and I'm grateful for leaders like Tara and Lindsay for speaking up about their neurological differences and how embracing this aspect of themselves is helping them better know themselves while leading and running their businesses better. The more we embrace differences as strengths, the more we will create cultures that are set up for different ways of thinking, working, and connecting instead of perpetuating a toxic normal. What parts of you or your story are you hiding from the world? What support do you need to better understand your nervous system, your mental health, or your origin story? And how can you create spaces that are more welcoming to differences and support neurodiversity? When you step into a deeper sense of knowing who you are without pathologizing or demonizing aspects of yourself, you discover a power and a knowing that becomes unshakable. You become an unburdened leader. Leading is hard. Leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values, your mission, your boundaries. Navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence, clarity, and calm. And you don't mind making the hard decisions, but I know sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. Finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex and polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small. Leading today is not a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster a hope that is actionable and aligned. When the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate the inevitable conflict both between your ears and with those you lead, when time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity, then Unburdened Leader Coaching is for you and where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than the status quo. To start your Unburdened Leader Coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining this episode of the Unburdened Leader you can find this episode, show notes, 
ways to sign up for the weekly unburdened email and other resources, along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com. Thank you.